Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Uh, welcome to the Bleachers. This is Bleacher Blums. We are embarking on a baseball season that is about to start. Uh, so what? Maybe in the next couple of weeks we'll have a big league baseball season starting. I am Jeff Blum, 14-year Major League veteran who now broadcasts for the Houston Astros. And of course, on the left coast, I've got my good buddy David Tuttle, who has plenty of experience in real life and the real game of baseball, achieving such accolades as Team USA, a college graduate, all-around great guy. And obviously, we get along well on this podcast. It's been a good run. These last couple of podcasts have been a lot of fun because we've been able to talk about baseball. But oddly enough, it feels like, Tuttle, we've kind of gotten into a little bit of a lull. And I said this last, I think it was last podcast, where I kind of, I'm I'm glad that they were able to get out of this lockout situation and get into spring training so you can see the fans in the stands. You can start to see some of the broadcasts you can see the players interacting with fans and really, you know, putting the energy out there to reconnect with fans and get this season going. And that's why I say the lull is good because we've gotten comfortable in spring and now we have a chance to look towards this, uh, towards the regular season. But how are things again? This is, the, you know, our weekly update with David Tuttle, man. How are things going out there on the left coast? Great. Um, I agree with you. That's all. Um, March Madness is coming to a close here and um, just like it is there. Uh, I wanted to ask you. Sorry to throw mm-hmm. it right back at you, but what what was the do. first broadcast like? You, uh, you and TK and Julie on the first broadcast. I know I texted you, said break a leg, and you said you were exhausted, but <laughs> you realized the prep and the work and all of the stuff. But, I mean, you're talking about the excitement from a fan's perspective. Um, it almost feels like from a fan watching these guys, you know, I saw the Angels were on Friday. Uh, Mm -hmm. their closer comes in the third or fourth inning, you know, to get his work (laughs) and then he's out at Iglesias. It's just funny how spring training, and I almost feel like although spring training started late, we're almost in the lull of spring training, but for you guys getting your broadcast team back together, what, what, what energy did that bring in? What what are you feeling like? That, that is an excellent question. And I'm glad you bring that up because it's something we should talk about. And just to get it out of the way early, when you texted me and said, you know, break a leg and I texted you back and I said, I'm exhausted. It was because, you know, you think you have all the endurance and all the ideas and then you start talking for three and a half, four hours. And all of a sudden you're like, bro, I could take a serious nap right now. <laughs> you're trying to be a little creative. Number 84 is at the plate and no offense to number 84, but you know, that attention span has a tendency to, to wander a little bit. And, uh, we wandered, we, we brought it back, but it was a lot of fun. The hard part was and I didn't anticipate this, to be honest with you, because we are a three-person crew. It's myself, Todd Callis, Julia Morales. Obviously, I need to change my name to go with Morales and Callis. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but we we you know we knew that Julia's job is to go down to spring training, especially now that the COVID rules have been lifted, and she can have the access to the players, which is vital for us. And she can have those sit-down interviews. She can get in the clubhouse. So we understood that you know the priority was getting Julia down there to get content, reconnect with the players, and do what she can. But once I showed up to the studio, I got to be honest. I kind of was like, eh, you know, eh, all right, let's let's call a game. It, it, it kind of took the luster off it. Yeah. But we get into the studio. You try and ramp it up. We got our open. We're getting ready to go live. And I mean, there were threats of rain in the area, but there was no rain at the time. And I mean, literally 
I've got my earpiece in. So does Todd. So does Julia. We're talking back and forth with our producer. Things are kind of chaotic. And they, he starts counting down 10, 9. And we're still talking. And all of a sudden, we look on the big screen behind us. This, the, you know, it's a, it's a, a wall that's a screen. And you see the first raindrop. Uh, and he's like, yeah. five, four. And <laughs> I mean, the second he hits, you know, we're on. All of a sudden, the rain starts coming down. I felt terrible for Julia, number one. But then behind her, you see the grounds crew pulling the tarp. So at first, you're amped. You're like, we get to call a game. Julia's on site. And all of a sudden, you're like, the realization that they're pulling the tarp, and we've got to fill. And we don't know how long we have to fill. You know, the the control room's scrambling. Julia's scrambling for cover. TK and I are like, you know, we're hearing 19 different things in her ear. We're like, where do we go with this? And... We had a, uh, what, 40-minute rain delay, I think, uh, before we actually called a game. So it, it was just mentally you, – you forget how mentally – I get charged up by our podcasts. I don't know. I don't know if it's just because the you know the, the talk and the way it kind of stirs the pot a little bit. But I felt mentally drained after that first broadcast for whatever reason. But it went well. It was all right. I don't feel like I gave, my, gave the fans my best, so I apologize for that. But I was, I was mentally cooked. Hey, you're in spring training too. You get, yeah. you get, you get a <laughs> mulligan, right? You get a mulligan too. You know what's weird is I bet if you had just known the rain, the downpour was there, then you get the station, the broadcast station, to say, "Hey, it's in a rain delay. We're going to start the broadcast." It's just one of those, right? Is it a timing thing? Like they probably would have yeah. put in, like they would have put in alternative programming and then delayed when you guys had to come on air. The fact that you guys were on air and the fill. And I've watched some of those broadcasts when you're wanting to watch a game, and I don't know if it's been you or TK, but. You know, it's tough. You're like, you turn on the game and you're like, oh, and we're going to look at some highlights from last year's like playoff run. And you guys are trying to fill it and add some things. And yeah, I, I mean, I can imagine that that's challenging, which adds to, as you said, you're kind of ramp up for the year. You don't have a lot of look back yet. You know, if you're in mid-season, <laughs> it's different and you're in mid-season form. So, yep. hey, it's spring training for everybody, including the broadcast team. Yeah, so. thank goodness, man. Because we need, I needed the work, not not yeah. TK or Julia. I needed the work. <laughs> By the way, I was a number eighty four, I think, or number eighty five in one spring training. So when that's what I wanted to ask you, Jeff when those guys roll up, yeah, <laughs> no, but it was funny because we got towards later in the game, and I think Luis Santana hit a grant, you know, hit a hit a bomb with a couple runners on, and I was like, watch out for those wide receivers. Mm. And I, I was going to ask you what your number was when you were in big league camp because you were you said you were eighty four. I think I was 85 one year. That was the okay. number I remember. But each year it switched. So my my first year in big league camp, I was number 83. Ooh, nice. <laughs> we were really close. Yeah, yeah. dude. No name yeah. on the back, just a number. Just go get them, no. kid. And unfortunately, you weren't a White Sox yet. That's funny. You were there in 05, I know. But uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, I, yeah, that's. I mean, I remember number 85 coming in. That was a, well. I told you, bases loaded, and it was uh, who was the pitching coach for the Cubs? I think he passed away recently. Good grief. Um, no, um, it wasn't Roth. Away. Was it Rothschild? No, no. Rothschild was Reds and Cubs. It was a young guy. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Oh, okay. I'll think of it. I'll come in. But he had uh, he had reached reached his uh, fill, so his base is loaded. <laughs> and they're like number eighty five coming in the game. And oh man, Chris, of course you coming in that situation. That. Are you kidding right. me? Yeah, Chris Singleton. There was two outs at least. Oh yeah. And Chris Singleton was. Uh, up at the plate with the bases loaded, but I had two outs. Thank God. I have a sinker. So he had a one hop comebacker to me. And it's funny because you've done this your whole life and it's not that big of a deal, but that was the first time like night game, spring training, like in front Dude. of fans, you know, you it took impress. me a while to get there. 
So the ball hits my glove, and Greg Colbrin was playing first base. And the first base went just like in a movie. It was like, whoop. <laughs> like it went, like he went like a hundred like yards away. I was like, feet. holy smokes, he's far away. And I know you've had that feeling. I mean, your first oh, yeah. time in camp or your first time in a big league game, you get that feeling over and over, and then you just overcome it. But uh, yeah, so I got out of that, but it was really funny. So uh, <laughs> I'll never forget that, obviously. But yeah, number 85, I believe. I might have yeah, number cool. 89 one year, which is a tight end. Also. Dang, man, that's deep. Yeah, it's a little, little unfair. <laughs> it's a little unfair. Jeez. Let's get down into the seventies, right? Or yeah, something seriously, like that. just like the well, weather. Yeah, it was funny. I got called up later that year, and I actually went from a wide receiver to a linebacker. I had number fifty was my rookie number. Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know if you can see you it, it there. back there. Don't you? Mark showing yeah. the yeah, you can see yeah, it. That's my is. rookie jersey back there yeah. behind me with the number fifty yeah. on it. So. Yeah. Good times. That's what it's all about. Yeah, you've told your number story before. Yeah. It's great when you can when you know you're going to be part of the club and you can ask the clubhouse guys different things. I remember trying to just yeah. get an extra pair of socks, you know, or <laughs> I had got I got sent down from big league camp and then they wanted me to come back over. You know, as the spring oh, wow. training ends, so it's like you're over on in, with with the Diamondbacks. It was just basically sides of the street. I mean, you're either in Tucson Electric Park oh, over gotcha. there in the stadium. Or you're over in the minor league complex. So they're like, all right, you're going back down to AAA. So go over there. And then the next road trip down to Phoenix, they're like, all right, we want you on the road trip. You come back and you're like, hey, can I get some more stirrups? And they're like, nope, we're the ones that we gave you. You're like, what? I can't get squat. You're like, hey, I want a number. You're like, get in the back of the bus, rookie. Dude, anyway, had, just the I had usual stuff. similar like that where I asked for like an extra pair of sleeves. And I think the equipment guy literally took me by the shoulder and like, look, he t- he spun me around to look at my number. <laughs> he looked at it and he went, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of pushed me on my way. I was like, all right, guess I need a lower number to get another pair of sleeves or something, dude. You, you know what's funny is if you said, I mean, we could really riff on this, but if you if you think about how that is, that's the those are the guys they should give all the stuff to. The guys kind of on yeah, the elevator up and down. Your, they're yeah, going to ask you for gonna, one thing and then be gone. Yeah, the other guys are going to pay you a lot of money and they're going to buy stuff yeah, for their true. kids and, you know, they're anyway, it just it seems a little unfair, but uh Anyway, um, I was going to just give us a little shout out here. Bleacher Blum's podcast, everybody. If you need to get at Blummer, it's at Blummer27 on Instagram and Twitter. Myself, at Real David Tuttle. Instagram, Twitter. Bleacherblums.com to get your uh, old school hat here that I'm wearing. Blummer's wearing a new school Bleacher Blums hat. And mm. uh, you can also get on YouTube and see the short hops. I believe when we put the Nolan Ryan video up there, we got the trailer. Ooh. We're getting a few views on uh, YouTube. So. You can go check that out, among other things, and look at our beautiful Sunday morning faces if you need to. Yeah, I had um, to wear a hat today. Whew. You too. Me too. Yeah. I need a haircut. I need my lettuce chopped. Yep. Hey, speaking of that, you and I don't talk a lot during the week, but I, I knew the reference and I knew that you were joking with me. But man, that was funny. I, I just, I feel <laughs> Dude, I like got when it we totally. make, I thought it was hilarious. But when we make the, hey, who cut your hair, we'll get them reference. Yeah. We're starting, this is the old man on the lawn. We're starting to lose, you know, audience members that are not our bleacher blums audience but you know you make a joke like that i've mentioned my crossfit class before and i realize you know i'm 15 or 20 years older than everybody in the class and you're like oh <laughs> you guys won't get this but you know or a song comes on this is my favorite like sweet child of mine comes oh, on and gosh, i'm like i know right? oh, i love that song it's so great that was my senior year in high school and they're like your senior year in high school they're like dude that was like my that was when i graduated from law school <laughs> you're like what? dude i know anyway get it all the time dude my wife is four years younger 
four years younger than me. And oh. that even happens between the two of us. She'll be like, oh my gosh, this was my freshman year in high school. Oh, and I'm yeah. going, dude, that was like my sophomore year in college. What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah, that's my <laughs> sophomore year in college. Yeah, that's anyway, I, I get I, I get the same thing. So Well, anyway, it's like it's all funny. the kids, like my daughters, I don't know if you've ever seen, if you're a parent and you have kids, if you have not seen the movie Surf's Up, it's an animated but it has like Jeff Bridges, Shia LaBeouf, Zoe, nice. I can't remember her last name, but it, it's a, it Death is such a, yeah, it's such a good movie. Uh, it, it, the animation's average, but like the storylines, the one-liners, the entertainment value is off the charts. Nice. But uh, Green Day is on their soundtrack. And my daughters are like, you know, at the time they're five, six years old. They love it. You know, we live next to the beach that so are into the whole surfing thing. But they're like, Green Day, Green Day. And now they're old enough to where they have the Green Day t-shirts. They sing the songs. And I'm like, you're, I go, girls, you want to hear something crazy? They're like, what, Dad, what? And I said, I watch these guys in a jazz club in the basement on Telegraph Avenue in Berkeley. And they're like, nice. wait, what? They, they, they weren't like superstars when you were in college? I'm like, no. Yeah. I go, dude, I paid $3 at the door to go watch some punk ska band down underneath a, in a basement. That's and the right. next thing I know, I get to the big leagues, and they're like on the main attraction of every concert going around the country. Right. <laughs> so that, that puts things in perspective because, yeah. you know, everybody's listening to classics now. But when we were younger, we were watching them in clubs. That's what That's blows right. me away. Yeah, you know, my I remember coming up in the minor leagues. Uh, Dave Matthews' band was one of those, yeah. right? They started out in Virginia. And like my buddy same would, era, would give me genre, like a yeah. bootleg. Yeah, he gave me a bootleg tape. He's like, you're going to love this band. And, you know, it's just so funny how, how – but it also kind of gives credence to what we talked about before, like hard work and, you know, yeah. honing your craft and all this and stuff. And really what goes that, on before they get there. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They were in the minor leagues. When you were in college, they were in the minor leagues playing basements and playing clubs. And, you know, they really mm -hmm. believed in their craft and they were skilled and they worked their way up. I mean, it's kind of the same – it's the same kind of, uh, I guess, elevator ride in terms of hard work. I, I You know, Dave Matthews comes to mind. I was listening to uh, XM Radio the other day, an alternative band, I guess, that's up for Best New Artist, and the DJ is just laughing. She's like, these guys have been around for 12 years, like Best New Artist. Like, how do they sneak into that category? She's saying it's unfortunate, you know, because that, that means, you know, they're just hitting the mainstream now, but they've been doing this for 12 years, and they've had a hit before. It's like... It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's funny. I think I might have seen Surf's Up, too, by the way, but... It's a yeah. good movie. If you do watch it again, like even as an adult, I'll still quote it every now and then. The girls yeah. die laughing, you know, yeah. it's pretty funny. There's, some of the I bet your daughter's like this one. There's another mermaid one. Is it Aquamarine? Is it? I think something? it is Aquamarine. Yeah, I know what Dude, you're talking my, about. When my daughters were young, they watched that movie like 75 times, you know. Think about and what our daughters a, have taught us and everything, mm -hmm. you know, everything we were exposed to that we never would have if we had boys. Yeah. Well, I, I really <laughs> like that movie. I just use daughters as an excuse. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, there you go. The truth is out. You know <laughs> what? Fine. That is actually an interesting segue because we're we were con we're not fighting for content, but we were actually you and I. We talk about music quite a bit. Mm -hmm. We talk about influence. We talk about you know the impact of some of these guys. You know, uh, Van. You know, uh, Eddie Van Halen passes away a couple of years ago, and some of these iconic figures. Now that we are men of a certain age, are starting to to pass away, and unfortunately, in the recent days, we're starting to learn more about what happened, but. Uh, it was over the off season. I actually sat down with my wife and watched the Alanis Morissette documentary. And I don't know if anybody watched that. And I learned something in that uh, documentary that I did not know. And unfortunately it has to do with Taylor Hawkins. 
because Taylor Hawkins recently passed away. And I, I, I think everybody on the planet is a huge Foo Fighters fan uh, because way. yeah, it does. You know, they're selling out, you know, a hundred thousand uh, person stadiums there. You know, Dave Grohl is an interesting character. Taylor Hawkins was an interesting character. Everybody in that band is, seems to have some kind of charismatic feature that you just gravitate towards. And then they have this brutal honesty in their music when they go out and play. And it's very enjoyable. Uh, you're going to get in-depth. You're going to get poppy. You're going to get sing-along. You're going to get everything with them. But with the passing of Taylor Hawkins and going back to that Alanis Morissette uh, documentary that I watched, which was interesting, you know, just she's a very interesting person and in how she developed. But I had no idea that Taylor Hawkins, that was like his first big gig, was playing in Alanis Morissette's band and uh, being being her drummer. And going through her evolution, and then eventually getting the opportunity with Foo Fighters, which obviously you know put him into the you know the orbit of the universe of being one of the greatest drummers of all time, and really uh, doing a great job with the Foo Fighters. But that one, these these are starting to get me, man. They're starting to yeah. get you know uh, the Neil Perts and 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 people like that that we you know our generation had listened to, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners had listened to, but. You know, it's sad the passing of Taylor Hawkins. And do those do those kinds of things impact you at all, Tuttle? They do. You know, I'm I'm a kind of you're, I know you're a uh, what is it Chevelle fan more than most. Uh, Foo Fighters happen to stick with me. I guess I'm not as uh, eclectic, kind of like you seeing Green Day <laughs> in the basement. I mean, Foo Fighters are popular, and I like them a lot. So go figure. Yeah. I mean, it's like liking Nickelback, maybe. But Ooh. um, ha- ha- I know I'm joking. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I I think. It's funny. I was driving to a soccer game yesterday, and I have another one today. I say me, like I'm playing. My daughter's playing a soccer game, and we had to go out to Norco yesterday. And the DJs on the radio kept talking about, you know, the passing of Taylor Hawkins, and this is what's going on. And you know, the fact that he was 50, um, that's a that's a big one. You know, I'm 52, yep. so same age, and it's kind of like my daughter's like, he was younger than you. What happened? And I knew that like 20 Isn't it crazy years ago, when the kids realize that, yeah. Yeah, when, 20 years ago in a documentary, he had you know messed around with some drugs before and had an overdose, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like, oh, you knew he was kind of a yeah. party type guy, but I think he'd gotten it cleaned up, had a wife, and you know obviously has three kids, and that's the other part that's impactful. Oh. Like my daughter's listening, like, all right, he's got a wife and three kids, and he's only 50. So all of that stuff. Um, but to your point, I think, yeah, as we get older, I mean, you know, I think we've touched on this prior you have like all your friends get engaged and then all your friends get married and then all your friends have kids. I mean, the next thing is, you know, you start going to funerals or you start hearing about, you know, people either your age, typically older, hopefully, parents or parental units or their friends passing away, grandparents, things like that. But uh, it was certainly shocking. I have a, a quick little side story. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my buddy is a, a contractor in Laguna Beach and Taylor Hawkins, although born in Texas, has lived in Laguna Beach for years. I've I've seen him in passing. You know, there's some mm-hmm. great stories. I know you've heard stories about yeah. late nights in Laguna Beach because uh, there's always a sighting when Dave Grohl and Taylor Hawkins are uh, hanging out together. But uh, my buddy does contracting. He's doing an oceanfront house and he's standing out front of, uh, well, we were with him looking at his new project or whatever. And this short little guy with long stringy hair walks over with his wife and they're talking to us and it's Taylor Hawkins. And Taylor yeah. Hawkins is like, is this your house? Is this your project? And my buddy's like, yeah, yep, this is mine. He's like, oh, well, we're thinking of buying a house over here. You know, what, what, Mm -hmm. what projects have you done or whatever? And so Taylor Hawkins on site, like, here's my phone number. Here's my email. Um, yeah, 
you know, you can contact my realtor and did it. So, you know, that was my, and I was sitting there like wide eyed. I was going to say, you probably locked up like, oh. Yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> what was that number again? Eight, yeah, eight, could one, you say you that know, a little bit like, louder? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so my friend, good friend, had really good contact with them. They never ended up buying the house or doing the thing, but they were always kind of in contact with his realtor. And it was just one of those wow. things where we always say this, you know, we talk about general public. I mean, everybody has a cell phone. Everybody's a normal person. Um, it's just what they do for a living. And mm -hmm. like you said, I think he became larger than life and, you know, seeing him and seeing this little like stringy haired, like thin guy, but uh, how big of a presence and how big of an impact he had on the world. And, you know, it's, it's yeah. just unfortunate to lose him so soon. So, and it one is. last thing to what you said about the, uh, about the Alanis Morissette documentary, which I did watch, but he had talked about, he had met Dave Grohl at some point in the past and uh, Dave Grohl had approached him and Dave Grohl, you know, they always tell it from their own point of view. Obviously he's like, I'll, this guy will never, like Alanis Morissette's the biggest act on the planet. He'll never yeah. come over. And Dave Grohl's like, leave. Hey, do you want to be my drummer? And <laughs> Taylor was like, Oh my God, do I like, anyway, just a funny story. So, but it's a bummer, man. Another guy, our age, essentially our age, that's uh, gone too soon. And, um, you know, it'll change the landscape of music. Ever since Linkin yeah. Park has lost their lead singer, Chester, yeah. we haven't heard much from them. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Chris Cornell, you know, mm. that that musical talent is gone. And, you know, we can go on and on and on. But, I, you know, I don't think the Foo Fighters are going to be putting out music for the foreseeable future and and if they do it's going to be i think a whole different journey and a whole different um uh you know kind of moving forward and i think that uh we should just be grateful and thankful right to get yeah. the, the music that we got no i i completely agree be grateful for the opportunities we did have to listen to them and continue to listen to them because they're gonna, those songs are going to just you know boost in value and uh listenership yeah, over the next couple of years uh we're going to take a break real quick we'll be right back with uh what I'm going to try and shock Tuttle with a stat from uh, from spring training, and I'm going to ask him what it, if it means anything. All right, stay tuned. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts that help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. We're back. And the bleachers, I know we got done talking heavy on a, a kind of a downer subject. We love music, but let's get back into baseball a little bit. Spring training is moving along. We talked about it being a little bit of a lull, so you're kind of looking for storylines. And scrolling through Twitter this morning when I woke up, which is probably not the best thing to do to start your day. but uh, <laughs> yeah, This is how I start my Sunday as well. No. <laughs> yeah, just kick me in the nuts and let's move on. Um, 
But uh, I'm scrolling through Twitter and something jumped at me. And it just so happens that it, it it's with a rival of the Astros over the last couple of years. And obviously that is going to be involved, you know, the left coast where Tuttle is hanging out. And it has to do with the LA Dodgers. And Everything that we know about the L.A. Dodgers, you know, they're signing Freddie Freeman. He hit his first home run in spring training. That lineup is literally a fantasy baseball lineup with what they're able to do. So I thought it was kind of funny that, you know, another another news, Dave Roberts gets a contract extension and he and he proclaims he goes out on the probably the strongest limb, this petrified wood limb of a tree and says, we're going to win the World Series. And I was—I I had to laugh. I, I, we both know Dave. I love Dave to death. But I mean, if there ever was a moment that a manager was going to say, we, we're going to win the World Series, it's with the ball club he has right now. It's insane what he has to work with, not just the lineup, but also the pitching staff. Uh, they, they've got plenty of money to spend. That being said, in 2019, do you remember who the MVP of the National League was? It was a Dodger. Yeah, Um Cody Bellinger, right? Last couple of seasons, not so good. And this is where I want to challenge Tuttle a little bit. And I want to ask you, because I think you and I, f- I feel the same way, but I want to ask you something. Do you think spring training numbers mean anything to a veteran like, let me rephrase that. Do you think spring training numbers mean anything to a veteran like Cody Bellinger, who's got four or five years in, rookie of the year, MVP, World Series championship? I mean, this guy's done a lot in the game. Yeah. You know, I don't, but it's a funny, it's a slippery slope because I think, you know, it really has a lot more to do with how the team feels, right? And so in the clubhouse mm-hmm. where they talk about, let's all hold hands and lock arms and do, I've we've talked about this because this is what I thought was frustrating about spring training for someone like me. If I came into spring training know, knowing that I had one of the bullpen roles, not locked up, but I was in the running for it, then... You know, I ha- I would come in with the confidence to be like, hey, the team knows I'm in the mix, and you know, sending me up and down isn't that big of a deal. Um, but when you come in trying to prove yourself, then spring training means everything to this guy who has to throw like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten scoreless innings in spring training to make the team, versus a guy who comes in and throws two innings, gives up five runs, but he's already on the team. And so I don't know where that edge or that line was drawn, but I always feel like that that. Fair or unfair, I mean, you know, you want the guys with experience, you want the guys that have been hanging out doing their thing with you, but I just feel like Cody Bellinger, and this is why you asked the question, is in an interesting position right now because he's had a couple of down years since his rookie year, and maybe they've figured him out, maybe they got the book on him. He probably would have to put in some, you know, he probably should be having a good spring training and showing that he's all buttoned up and ready to go. So, I mean, yeah. I think they do mean a little bit for him, but I could see how he's already on the team, penciled in to the lineup too. Yeah, you did a very good, very, a very good job of articulating what I was trying to get at because you do get to a point where you do have a guaranteed contract, you do have a spot on the team. Yes, the expectation is for you to go out there and succeed, but I feel like since he won that MVP in 2019, he's been under a lot of scrutiny. And granted, there's an injury mixed in there where he's trying to fight back. But this guy has been under the microscope. But I want to, I'm going to read off some numbers for you. 19 at bats, three hits. That is a buck 58 batting average. And yeah, you laugh, but there are some times where you're barreling it up, you're getting robbed, uh, just can't find a hole, whatever it may be. So you're worried about contact. What if I told you that in 19 at bats, this guy had struck out 14 times? 
and is 0 for his last eight with eight strikeouts. That is Cody Bellinger right now. Mm. Are you kidding me? I'd be a little panicked about this guy right now. They just signed Kevin Pillar yeah. to a minor league contract as a backup for him. That Those numbers are insane, dude. Yeah. Well, that just shows the depth of the Dodgers. Oh my gosh, Kevin Pilar is like in a minor league contract. <laughs> yeah, like, dude. if I'm Bellinger, Another, yeah, I'm, just picking I'm nervous, guys up. Man. I'm nervous about like what's Pilar going to be doing there, and eight strikeout. I mean, like I don't know what he's doing at night or if he's in the cage or what. You know, I mean, there's a lot going on there. But uh, yeah, that's that's an amazing statistic. And when you bring those statistics back full circle, I mean, I'm sure. The Dodgers are a little nervous as well, which is why they have a guy like Pilar in their Spring stable. training. Think about who he's facing, too. If the Dodgers weren't concerned, they wouldn't sign Pilar. I mean, that's the bottom line. So Bellinger better stop going out in Scottsdale or wherever they are, surprise Arizona, and get his stuff together. Um, you know, he he's – those are the – you can tell me this, right? They're, those are the hardest – guys to deal with because he was rookie of the year and he was in instruments instrumental in the lineup the year they won the world series he had a home run in game six or something to get it to game seven and so he's a guy who they want in the lineup and they want in the clubhouse but they you know if if dave roberts prediction is to come true you can't have a guy you know striking out eight at bats in a row in a lineup that's that formidable so and it's so funny to lose a guy like seager and then actually think you have a more formidable lineup. So we're in a we're in a really interesting time. Yeah, very interesting out there on the West Coast. And that's one of those things where I think it puts Dave Roberts in a tough position is because if he's hitting the ball hard, you're saying, oh, look at the contact rate, look at the barrel rate. He's not even contacting anything. It, I mean, he's gone yeah. straight Chris Davis, you know, from the Baltimore Orioles on us, which is a scary sign. So that's it on the Dodgers. I, I did want to ask a question to you about the Dave Robertson era. When a manager comes out, and we just talked about the Dodgers lineup, when he comes out and makes a prediction like that, the news was trying to make something of it. You know, they're like, oh, well, now the Dodgers. Like, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with a manager saying, look, our payroll's the highest in baseball, our lineup is stacked, it's World Series or bust. I mean, that's essentially what he said. There's nothing wrong with that, right? There's no there's no story there. Like, if you don't believe you're going to win the World Series with a $240 million payroll <laughs> and some of the best pitching in baseball, then you should get another job, right? I mean, there's no story. Absolutely. No, I, I'm 100% with you. I think he's obviously been in the clubhouse, feels the vibe, talked to these guys, and then he had a chance to watch, what, about a week's worth of games, and he went, yeah, I think we got a real shot with these guys. They're pretty good. So, I, <laughs> so he, he went out on that. No that news is good news. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm sure, and I don't think it's, you know, as far as a player, I don't think, I think it's, you know, a badge of honor for those guys to understand that they, yeah, we put this team together. There could be the opportunity for maybe some attitude issues inside the clubhouse, but I think that that's a good enough crew and those guys understand winning enough to where they're like, okay, we'll accept that challenge from our manager and we'll go out there and prove him right. But uh, nice. So I don't think there's anything internally like I don't think the players are looking at Dave going, man, this guy's crazy. Why is he doing this to us? I think that the Dodgers, right. with that payroll, with the names they have in there, they understand that that target is literally on their back, and they're they're the team to beat because of the money they spent and how well how how good they have the chance to be. They could be, you know, they could be a Bronx bomber type, you know, franchise. Yeah, and I and I think lastly they got Kershaw back, so you have Kershaw with the pitching staff mm -hmm. and Justin Turner who have been around the block a few times with that clubhouse with those players, and I think you know, that leadership capability and that you know guys to look up to that have been there will keep the ship kind of you know sailing in the right direction. It's funny I watched that Tom Brady documentary. I finally finished all nine episodes of that, 
And, you know, they just talked about, you know, the culture and, you know, the culture is an important part and you, the old, you're only as good as your last game and that kind of thing. So I think, you know, you have to believe you're going to win, but the Dodgers will get everybody's best shot. And that's what ended up happening to the Patriots is they, people use them as a measuring stick as well, which is why Mm -hmm. sometimes those teams get upset because it's kind of like, you know, you just played three hard series in a row. You won three out of four. You won four out of four. You won two out of three. And now you're going to, you know, Minnesota and Minnesota gives you everything they've got. <laughs> and you just <laughs> needed a little rest as well. So it, it is, you know, the target is there. But I think to your point, I don't think there's anything wrong with Dave saying what he did. I know the media, you know, I, I, Twitter is not a good way to wake up on Sunday, but Twitter is, uh, you know, a run afoot with like Dave Roberts predicts the Dodgers are going to win the World Series. Yeah, way to go out on a limb. Yeah, that makes Twitter look like a lot more fun when you're out there and your manager's proclaiming that. But, uh, you know, just to transition real quick and button up March Madness because we just saw the Sweet 16, we saw the Elite Eight. It was a lot of fun to see some of these teams in there. And what blows me away, we're, we're recording this on a Sunday morning and we still have to see the Peacocks go out there and see if they can beat uh, the Tar Heels to get into the Final Four. But they've already made history being the first 15th seed, 15 seed getting into the Elite Eight. But my heart was broken yesterday twice by the Hogs and the Cougs. I wanted them both to move on, obviously, for selfish reasons with UH being here in Houston. And I love Kelvin Sampson and the crew he's got. My daughter's committed to Arkansas, so I've sold out for Musselman and his his crew, but they just did not have it, and they will not be moving on. But Coach K, man, there was part of me last night that was like, screw this guy. I want him to lose. He's won enough. He got his 100th March Madness win. Get out of here, man. Move on. Let the hogs go by. But guess what? That dude is an absolute genius when it comes to coaching and motivating. So he's moving on to the Final Four with Duke. He is, you know, I, I don't know what it is. You know, I think the only people that like Duke are alumni and former players. So, um, you know, it just <laughs> seems to be that way, but you can't, you know, it's the love them or hate them thing. You know, you, you know, true. I already brought up so Tom true. Brady. People love Tom Brady or hate him. Mm-hmm. Coach K love, love him or hate him. Um, Bel- Belichick love him or hate him. I mean, you can go down the list of these <laughs> people, ones, you yeah. know, you know, Billy Martin was like that. George Steinbrenner, right? Love him or hate him. Like, you know, these guys that won a lot but had a lot of kind of, you know, divisive feelings. It's like a politician. But, uh, you know, I'm not a huge Duke fan. But, you know, you have to, you have to, I don't know if you have to love, but you certainly have to respect someone like Coach K who's done it as well as he has for as long as he has. And, and, you know, hats off to him. I, I told you there were some really... I just started listening to some of JJ Reddick's podcast and he was telling some old Duke stories and it actually makes me feel a little better about Coach K because he comes across so politically correct and this is how I run my ship and this is what we do. And then the stories, you know, when they don't play well, he takes all their Duke gear and he made one of the freshmen go to (laughs) Walmart and buy white t-shirts and Navy shorts and they get to wear those for a week with no, you know, no Duke logo on. Anyway, just... Yeah, really good stories. You're like, okay, so he is a you know he's a college coach that can relate to kids. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately for the Cougs, I mean, you mentioned their shooting, but I think <sighs> more than anything, I think they they probably maximize their talent. I mean, True. you have to realize, and we talked about this a little bit last time with Chris Beard going from Texas Tech to Texas. You go from three star recruits to five star recruits essentially, 
And those five-star recruits, if you can motivate them and get them to do things, the ceiling's a little bit higher, and you know this. I mean, I think Texas Tech, UH, I said this, Auburn, Tennessee, even um, Arkansas were the same kind of team. You know, six yeah. foot five, six foot seven guys. They're long and lean. They play a good defense, a good amoeba type zone defense, and they smother you. But you know, they got to be able to make shots, and you know that that, that make shots and rebound. Maybe, yeah. And that may be the three, four star, five star difference. And uh, you know, Muscle, Muscleman's a great coach, um, but uh, I think they probably, from a talent wise and probably from a seating wise, reached their potential this year for sure. So unfortunately for yeah, your daughter, she's got to wait till she gets there to root them on. No, I think that's true. And I actually, I know that their recruiting class next year is going to be really good. So Musselman's a great coach, but uh, I agree. I think that you do kind of get, you know, as as true as that statement is about Arkansas and and the Cougars, you have St. Peter's. So, I mean, you know, go figure yeah. in the tournament. Whatever they're doing yeah. is obviously magical and moving them on. Well, and some some years you do catch magic in a bottle and, you know, their confidence has got to be high. They have no – somebody was saying that when they beat Purdue and nobody gave them a chance, obviously, to beat Purdue, they thought Purdue was a Final Four team, is that the pressure gets to the other team. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see today if Hubert Davis's team, who's been playing really, really well, obviously they're an eight seed, even though UNC is a, a blue blood in college basketball, if Shaheen Holloway and the, and the St. Peter's Peacocks can get them – you know, down to a last second shot or down, you know, in a close game, you know, you know, who's going to get tight, right? It's not going to be St. Peter's. It's going to be the, the blue blood of college basketball. And I, and I think you already touched that it's one of the greatest stories in college basketball history, but they, somebody even broke down the, the road that they took to get there, which is by beating a two seed Kentucky and beating a three seed Purdue. The other, high seed teams that have made it to the elite eight or the final four never had that road. The other teams got knocked off before they played them. But St. Peter's Mm -hmm. is beating all the teams and it's pretty, pretty darn impressive. And boy, if they make the final four, I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for them. I don't, I don't even know who they're playing to. Oh, UNC. We already said, I don't care if (laughs) North Carolina goes, I'd rather have St. Peter's in. So let's go St. Peter's Peacocks. Yeah. You know what? And, And you've watched enough sports, played enough sports. The scariest team to face or the scariest guy to face or woman in whatever sport you're in is the is the team that doesn't have anything to lose. And that is St. Pete's right now. They have nothing to lose. They've already overachieved you know, from what everybody prognosticated. So they have nothing to lose. They're going to try crazy stuff. It's like facing some of those teams in football where the onside kick or the trick plays and yeah. you know, they're just going for it. You know, it was what, Boise yeah. State back in the day when they were playing um, – Oklahoma. Gosh, who were they playing when they Oklahoma and they you know they blew that trick play on them and it was crazy so that's kind of where St. Pete's at the scariest thing in sports is the team that has nothing to lose and is willing to do anything to win totally agree and what's cool about St. Peter's it's funny I said this maybe two podcasts ago just beating Kentucky and maybe winning the next game gave their coach the opportunity to have a a huge coaching uh pay uh, uh, raise and a huge opportunity at another school. The fact that they've won two more games since the last time we talked, I mean, Shaheen Holloway is going to be able to coach anywhere in the country that he wants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gonna, His uh, resume just it's exploded over the last, what, month? Yeah, for sure. All right, so I know you wanted to button this thing up, but it looks like the Wi-Fi and the Internet are solid here, so why don't you uh, finish up with your blast? I think you had a blast about Hollywood. 
Yeah, I've got a blast. I can't stand Hollywood. My dog can't either, apparently. She's getting a little yeah. fired up. But I was sitting there watching, and my, you know, my wife puts on the calendar. The Oscars are being shown. This is being shown. Uh, the, you know, the Emmys, you know, these big award shows, the, the Grammys, the, you know, Doja Cats bailing out on music because fans are mad. I mean, this is a weird time we're in, but I am not a fan. Even if it's an ESPY awards, you know, I feel like the ESPYs at least try to bring a little personality and some humility to it, but I cannot stand how Hollywood has to have these egregious shows to give themselves awards and give themselves dinner, give themselves red carpets, allow them to wear $10,000 dresses while I'm paying $8 a gallon for gas. It doesn't make any sense to me. And the hypocrisy has finally gotten to me because the same people finally. that are out there going, <laughs> yeah, finally. When you got invited to those things, you didn't care. <laughs> well, maybe I finally have the platform to bitch about it. Yeah. When I can afford it, yeah. Uh, but the fact that, you know, this is the same group that goes, everybody gets a trophy. Everybody should get everything. It should be even. It should do that. And then you're going to go out there and and throw a freaking billion dollar freaking award ceremony for freaking uh, an Oscar. Give me a break. Just sit at home and call it out. Tweet it, tweet it out. Tweet out so-and-so won for best picture. This is the best actress. This is the best actor. And then let's go home. I don't need to see you gallivant across, you know, whatever boulevard it is in your, in your, uh, in your dresses and your suits and your proclamations and your you know, politicizing everything. Give me, just do your job, accept an award, and accept the fact that you did a good enough job to be recommended for an Oscar and then go home. Don't sit there and parade it out in front of me showing up in your, ah, dude, I, I, just, I had enough of it. I'm done with the Oscars. I'm done with the SAG Awards. I'm done with, what's the one? Uh, Golden, Golden Globe. Globes. I'm yeah. done with the Globes. I'm done with it. You don't need yeah. to do that. Just, just, you know, make a phone call. Say, hey, you won. You know, yeah. what, we're going to have Hall of Fame ceremonies where we like bring all the candidates in and be like, you, here's your call. And, you know, what, give me a break. Uncle, I'm tapping it's out. Funny. I'm out on the Oscars. And outside of the fact, I don't even yeah. know what movies there are. What movies are in this? Yeah. And they're streaming movies. There's a couple, uh, good, that counts? couple good movies. Yeah, streaming movies. A couple good movies. I saw Coda. It was good. They said that might upset something. But to your that point. That looks good. I think. We because the award shows have become monetized and advertised. I th actually think sports is following suit, and I think the politics yeah. is what's kind of getting under your skin. It used to be the AP would announce, "Hey, so and so won the MVP," and they were like, "Okay, great." You know, they sent him a telegram or a letter, or, you know, a text at that time. Even the Hall of Fame now. And there is was a an phone article call, about right? it. You interview the guy, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Where David Ortiz got in, and they oh, they show him like reacting, and then they're going to have a ceremony, like an induction ceremony, which is fine, but they're not going to have some, like you said, dinner oh, and award show and this huge. But the ESPYs kind of made it that way, and now the NFL players have their award show yeah, at the end of the why? year, and you know now it's starting to become more mainstream. And I think, to your point, I think what gets I could allocate that money in so many better places, man. That's right, and I think what gets frustrating is the politicization of it where, you know, I think you you just yeah. touched on something that's really funny, which is, you know, we're paying eight, you know, seven, seven, eight dollars uh, for a gallon of gas, yet, you know, they're like, you know, free whatever and free this and, you know, <laughs> but it's a but it's a billion dollar award show and they're wearing, <laughs> you know, a Fendi dress with, you know, twenty thousand diamond dollar diamond, you know, necklaces yeah, and earrings. So it can be frustrating. So I'm with you on the award shows. And I think what you just said actually resonated with me in a COVID environment. 
mm. is that we did all these things during COVID and we realized, I feel like we kind of pared things down. We were like, all right, we don't need this. We can cut some fat here. Let's trim this. Good like point. during COVID, we didn't really miss the in-person award ceremonies. It was kind of like, hey, so-and-so won. Like, I think, you know, I think hopefully it gave us some perspective, but I definitely think now they're kind of like, hey, we're coming back this year. And I think that's where the sting is more. It's like, hey, we made it two years without it. And now yeah. we're going to bring this thing back that's, you know, a billion-dollar pomp and circumstance excess celebration of excess just seems a, a little... And especially actors I know, and I'm sure you know a few actors, but they're like, you know, I really like this job, and it's a great job, but it's not that difficult of a job. You know, I practice my accent. I do this. I just feel I feel humbled, and I feel honored to have this as a job. And some people are outstanding actors, don't get me wrong. Yes. But again, they're not, like, they're not... As they say, this isn't rocket scientry <laughs> or, uh, or, or brain surgery, right? So anyway, I had a pitching coach. I said that all the time. That was That's my so favorite. Good. Hey, this isn't rocket scientry. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> that it is made not. me laugh, dude. You but, got me. Yeah, there you go. But anyway, so I, I agree with you. I mean, I think COVID is what jumped out when you said that in that, you know, mm -hmm. we're now... I told you my favorite part of going to Vegas last week was never, I didn't have to wear masks anywhere. And I went, we went out to dinner last night. Nobody's wearing masks. And I know in Texas, you guys have been that way for a while, but uh, we're getting back to normal. And I think the new normal should not include Grammys, Golden Globes, or Oscars for to boot. So, yep, I'm with you. That's been a good podcast. We had to fight through it a little bit. I know our producer is just going to be uh, over head over heels trying to recruit. I mean, trying to recap this entire podcast and put it together and make it sound somewhat intelligible. But we appreciate everybody who tunes into the bleachers. We are kicking off the season in grand fashion. Tuttle and I are having a great time. We appreciate all the military home and abroad, keeping our borders safe and keeping us safe and allowing us the freedom to go out here and have these podcasts and try and entertain you. Can, oh, springtime in Houston is gorgeous, so everybody get outside. Nice. I implore you to get outside and enjoy the weather and have some fun. Essential workers, essential, uh, everybody who's essential, teachers, uh, first responders, EMTs, police uh, persons, fire persons, everybody that goes out there and protects us and keeps us safe. Obviously, this podcast is for you. We are grateful to you and everything you do. So thank you for everything you do. My boy Tuttle is going to finish this thing off. All right, if you're over the age of 45, please get screened for colorectal cancer. Rest in peace, Taylor Hawkins. And we encourage you all, Amen. you don't know how long or short your life will be, get after it and believe it. Believe it. So if you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a, a platform to make a political speech, right? You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. Most of you spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg. So, if you win, right, come up, accept your little award, thank your agent and your god, and f*** off, okay? 